0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram and I hope you enjoy this episode. On principle, challenges in Jewish education, and I, I'm Avram Kipalevich, and I have the incredible pleasure of speaking with a dear old friend of mine who is the rabbi of Beth Israel Beth Aaron in Montreal, Canada uh the premier spokesman really uh in canada of is uh, relationships to the state of israel and anti-semitism um a leader in mizrahi i believe there as well uh Ru- ruven yoshua pupko who is our first Big synagogue rabbi. We've had uh, a synagogue rove before about a community, but this that community that we talked about before was sort of a fledging, growing community. Rabbi Pupko, uh, you are actually the rabbi of a of a shul that has been in Cote Saint Luc, uh, suburb of Montreal, for many, many years, and you have a very large, uh, I would say, modern Orthodox synagogue, and since this program is dedicated to challenges in Jewish education, why don't you let us know about how education works in a synagogue differently than it would be in a school or some other sort of setting and how you sort of manage, uh, Jewish education generally, and especially now during COVID. So go ahead, Rabbi Pupko. And, uh, we're always happy. Yeah. The mic's yours, as I say.
1: First of all, it's an honor to be with you, Rabbi. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, we know each other uh, a very long time uh, since the '70s, so it's a, it's a real honor to be here and a pleasure to be here. I uh, just maybe some background about Montreal in general would be helpful to understand the context of, of my synagogue. Um, Quebec is the only place in North America which subsidizes Jewish education, so for that reason and some other sociological factors, we have a very high rate of day school attendance in uh, in, in Montreal in the Jewish community. While in the states, uh, the most commonly uh, heard number is fifteen percent of Jewish kids in the states go to day school. In Montreal, it's about fifty to sixty percent. Wow! But, but it comes and and again, part of it has to do also with the linguistic divide, French English. So there's other factors, rather than the fact that it's much less expensive. Also, we live we tend to live in in highly concentrated Jewish areas. That means even the non Orthodox Jews of Montreal live in neighborhoods that are almost exclusively Jewish. It's a very strange phenomenon. If you look on Wikipedia, for the most densely populated Jewish areas in North America, two out of the top four are in Montreal, that's and look at Hampstead, and then comes Borough Park in Beachwood, Ohio. I mean, <laughs> highly concentrated areas. And um, and they go to Jewish schools. But again, the schools are not what we would call uh, orthodox day schools, but they are Jewish schools, and some are more traditional than others but that but the, but that's an important context for the um, to understand synagogue life in montreal because of the success of the day school in penetrating the traditional jewish market when i say traditional i'm not talking about i'm talking about traditional but not orthodox uh community that in some ways hurts synagogues and and let me explain why you take your typical non-orthodox jew living in a suburb of chicago or st louis their kid maybe goes to hebrew school comes life cycle events, they will attend their local conservative or reform temple for some Jewish, uh, I- engagement because the kid didn't see anything during the week. Here, ironically, because of the great success of our day schools, the non-Orthodox parent who has sent his kid to school to a Jewish building for five days out of the week, Saturday morning, they wake up and they go skiing or play hockey. Hmm. So, so, it, it, and then if that family weakens their Jewish, enta- uh, you know, entanglements, and, be, and, and the kid, let's say, doesn't go to day school anymore, or the next generation doesn't go to day school, the synagogue habit is not reacquired. So, so in some ways, in many ways, the day school success helps everybody. There's a, there's a level of Jewish literacy across the board, which is, uh, which is remarkably high in contrast, uh, to many, uh, cities in the states. But because of that, many of these kids who would have some semblance of a, of the notion of a synagogue being an address, lose it completely. They are not given experiences as kids, which they can replicate as adults. And, and one thing we all know, because we're both old enough to have experienced what was called the Balchuva mood at the time, many of those baal most of those baal were kids, were the good USY kids who were raised by non-Orthodox parents, but were synagogue literate and were even Hebrew literate, who therefore when they walked into an Orthodox synagogue, when someone finally invited them and, and found them or they found us they didn't feel like complete idiots and, and that's a huge thing people don't go to places where they feel stupid and, <sighs> and having a degree of synagogue literacy was a huge asset in the baltuga movement right the, the classic profile of the baltuga was not somebody who for seven generations or four generations didn't know a grandmother who lit shabbos candles these were kids whose Parents were highly traditional Jews who became Orthodox. That was the Batu movement, and uh, and and they saw at least the grandmother lighting Shabbos candles, and they knew something. Uh, today, unfortunately, the great mass of non-religious Jews in North America are people who've never had any semblance of a Jewish connection. Where being Jewish is an ethnic identity. No more compelling than an Italian identity for an Italian kid. You know, it's, it's something you joke about once in a while, and maybe there's a Fuji, but nothing more than that. But literacy in synagogue life is a little bit of literacy, it was a huge, huge asset in the Valtru movement. So Montreal, although we succeed in, in day school education, the synagogue's kind of, uh, it's hard. The non-Orthodox community doesn't find itself in synagogue anymore.
0: Well, I, I'm, this is very fascinating. Uh, first of all, it's, it's generally fascinating because I, I, I've known about your prowess as a as, as a lecturer and a speaker, and I'm I'm floored uh, honestly uh, by what's at your fingertips here, and, I, and I, I am very impressed. But I think it actually, but from what you're saying, uh, Rabbi, it would seem that you shouldn't have that many people coming to shul either, because if the young people are disenfranchised. Are, is your synagogue mostly made up from older people? Is your synagogue mostly? No.
1: no. What, what's happened here, listen, I grew up in Pittsburgh. My father uh, was, a, was a great rabbi in Pittsburgh. And I see in my own synagogue life what I saw in his. In other words, when I was a kid in the 1960s in Pittsburgh, you had many non-Orthodox Jews in an Orthodox synagogue. That was the rule in the U.S.
0: Sure. Memphis, Memphis where I grew up to, yeah, most, most of right. the, most of our Orthodox, <laughs> most of the members of the Orthodox synagogue did not keep Shabbos or, right. or No,
1: I mean, I remember when Sandy Koufax was pitching into the, uh, was World, the Wolf Series, World Series, the, yeah. the Jewish World Series. I right. remember walking into the washroom, my father's filled, and, and a couple of guys were listening to the game on the transistor radio in your All the time.
0: They had, they had, they little ear, they, they, they had, little had the little ear, ear thing right. in their phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So it was a different, and, and that was a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. And now Montreal is the last city like that, but, but increasingly less so. Most of our souls are Orthodox here. Montreal is a big Jewish community. We have one Reformed temple, two functioning conservative synagogues. Everything else is Orthodox. So we still, so when I came to Montreal and I walked into my shul in the eighties, it was like my father's shul in the sixties. But what I saw in my father's shul in the sixties was that The children of those non-Orthodox Jews certainly did not affiliate with an Orthodox synagogue. They went off either nowhere or to the conservative reform temple. But then my father lived long enough after the pews emptied when the non-Orthodox left to see them refilled with Orthodox Jews. So the time my father left the rabbinate, the shul was Orthodox in attendance and in affiliation. And my shul today is Orthodox in attendance and in affiliation. When I came... And I, the first Shabbos I was here in the mid '80s. Most of the people I was looking at still were not Shomer Shabbos. Today, everybody I look at is Shomer Shabbos. Wow. So, and that's not because I made them religious. You know, I had nothing to do with it. I just waited them as much as possible. Right? They, they, <laughs> they, 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 right. They, but, but
0: but how did it happen? Considering what you said about young people from the who weren't that religious not going back to shul H- how did you get your members how did that because membership the, uh, the balloon changed. that way
1: J- jewish the jewish community changed we had many more young families many more young couples who had kids and those young couples are now not so young anymore and their kids are older so it's, it, it, it's a, the sociology changed not 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 how Jews identify, the sociology change, the demographics change. So, so. And because of that, I, you know, when I came, I had wheelchairs in the lobby. Now I only have baby strollers, uh-huh. so. so it's a whole different world. But, but again, there, there's nothing good in this world without a downside. The fact is, if you walked into Deniz- any Orthodox show the 1970s in the U.S., you found non-Orthodox Jews. Today, you no longer find them. And that is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that we no longer have the contact we used to have with the non-Orthodox community. We only cater to the people just like us. Well, 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 and because of that, if well, you can claim that our synagogues aren't welcoming enough, I don't accept that critique. I, I don't know. But
0: I, I I'd actually want to counter a little bit since uh, yeah. what we're talking about here is perspective from our from my I would say the people, and I saw this in my own relatives, which we were discussing a little bit before we started recording. I saw it in my own, with my own relatives, relatives that I grew up with, who were not, who did not keep Torah mitzvahs, who regularly ate treif and were Shabbos, but still saw themselves, quote unquote, as connected to orthodoxy. A number of years later, they were they were part of. A modern orthodox umbrella and going mm-hmm. to modern orthodox schools. So I think w- what I would suggest is that some of those people who we were talking about, when we were growing up, you're right, they drove back to shul. They drove back home. They became more modern orthodox. Orthodoxy became easier for them to accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they were able to get bigger homes, whatever it was. There was a a sense of orthodoxy, not being the old European guy um, who could barely stammer out a word of English. There was a more appealing sense of orthodoxy. And the fact that they kept kosher and the fact that they weren't Machal Shabbos before Hesia, although they might have had Shabbos clocks. So so that's what I think happened. I don't don't disagree with you. I think think if we would have gone back in time, those people that you're seeing, the modern Orthodox government, they just wouldn't be from. Okay. And that, and well, that is, and and and, and 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 I know I. Both of us come from the Yeshiva velt. I mean, both of right. us speak the Yeshiva language. The Yeshiva velt needs to be Tove to the modern Orthodox uh, uh, perspective, despite all the weaknesses in it and hypocrisies that abound. It really made many more people uh, uh, keeping a modicum of Torah and mitzvahs that otherwise would not have happened.
1: Oh, like, for sure. No, no I, I agree with you one hundred percent. All I'm saying is that. You're talking about a demographic that became more Orthodox. I'm talking about the Jew who wasn't shomer Shabbos at all and, and didn't keep kosher, but who ended up in, a, in an Orthodox synagogue for familial reasons or to yeah, okay. reasons. You're right; those... those Jews don't exist in Orthodox children, right? And, and, and... But, which, by the way, has another impact. In other words, Orthodox rabbis in North America today never have to respond to the dilemmas of the of the non-Orthodox community. They're answering questions about, you know, for, for, their, for the kind of questions from people asked. That's right. And and they don't have to deal with the issues of the non-orthodox community, and that, which could have, which could temper some of the attitudes they have. In other words, having to, in other words, to see real people who really care deeply about being Jewish, but weren't exposed to what we were exposed to, and aren't aren't in any way what we would call religious. But to see them and to see the devotion they still have to to their identity and to respect that, the the sincerity of that feeling, it it broadens a rabbi's vision of, of, of the Jewish community. And that and, and that is lacking in many yeah, places.
0: Well, I would just say to that, somewhat cynically, there are certain big donors, Larry Tish, Sheldon Adelson, and hey. others, who uh, they've got plenty of orthodox uh, hovering around them. Uh, but yeah. you're right. The, the, <laughs> the non-billionaires, and maybe billionaire is not even good enough anymore. Hey. The, non, the non-multi-billionaires, you're right. They are sort of like... Either, either they don't exist or shunted away. But, you know, again, I love this conversation and, and it doesn't. By the uh, way, just on,
1: on that note. Yeah. You know, uh, Canada has a version of the IRS called the CRA, Canada Revenue. The way they estimate a Jew's estate <laughs> when they die is they go to the funeral, they count how many Chabad rabbis are there. <laughs> and based on how many are there, they extrapolate the amount of money the person must have. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it sounds a little bit like Elliot Ness. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, like Elliot Ness's accountant. Um, yeah, 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 that's great. I wanted to ask you. Um, so, okay, here you are. How many, again, without telling tales, I, I'd love you to put this podcast up on your show site. So sure, tell, me, tell me, tell uh, me, right now your membership is what? We have about
1: seven? 700 families.
0: Wow, that's great. So the, now, obviously, you have. Even though it's a modern Orthodox shul, you have a wide spectrum. Are you in, are you like the leader of the Torah uh, classes? Does every uh, how many classes are in the shul weekly? I mean, I could go on your website and, and get the answer, but you tell I, me. I don't know. I mean,
1: I give I I I about I, 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 I personally give about five or six classes a week, but there's other people working here. I mean, not working here, but other people who are. I understand part of the intellectual life of the synagogue. We have a call Torah mitzvah. That, uh, now does much of its programming here. So we have those young men from, uh, and women from Israel who, 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 are involved in the education. Listen, uh, COVID changed everything. Uh, what we discovered over COVID is that if, you know, the Monday class I used to do for 12 women now has 120 women or 10 wow. men together. What we learned from this is that when Jews are in lockdown and have absolutely nothing else to do, they're more, they are more than happy to study Torah.
0: One hundred percent. Our podcasts have have gone through the roof because of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, there's no question.
1: COVID, but again, I, you know, it's some people. Some people don't like Zoom. Some
0: people, you know, seem to thrive on it. But
1: uh there's no question that. So you.
0: Uh, so, look, yeah, look, I'm, sorry. I, look yeah, I'm sorry look i look i know you very very well you know and i know your family and i know that that part of you definitely has a tendency look if you can do a good job do it and i'm i'll put my stamp on it and i think you know again you don't micro you don't you don't, you, you're not going to micromanage the classes that are going on there right
1: no, no i know i mean i you know as you get older you uh you get smarter and uh and 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 you uh and and you uh, and you do things you entertain things that you would never have in your 20s or 30s and uh no we have a lot of people teaching here i'm sure they say things i wouldn't agree with but uh ultimately you have to respect have enough faith in people's common sense to to know what's real and what's not and uh and enough faith that uh you know uh a diversity of opinions within certain boundaries is a healthy thing.
0: Right so the, so which is you know in many ways you might say that a modern orthodox shul like yours might actually be a, a real testing ground for a lot of diverse opinions um you know in, in other words uh, if you would bring in like you wouldn't you say you wouldn't have any qualms if there would be a Overschilo or a Shiva want to come in and give a lumdish oh. shishear uh, in, in in the you'd love that right that would be great I, I
1: don't I I can't I wouldn't I I can't think of anyone in the Orthodox world, that I would ban from the left to the right? No, I, I, I'm
0: not interested. Right, right, and, and it could be, and again, you're. It, it, we'll, hopefully we'll get out of COVID, but in, in the era before COVID, where you, you, people would come into the shul, they would see the shul like the old, uh, like the word means, shul right. means school, a place where that, people are learning, right?
1: Listen, I mean, listen. this is an old story. I mean, there's always a challenge um, trying to keep a show that does have a diverse membership going because everything becomes a niche. You know, as somebody once put it, uh, you know, shuls used to be department stores. Now we're all boutiques. In other words, we we cater to one slice of the Jewish community. I try very hard not to allow that to happen. In other words, to uh, to create an environment where, you know, uh, where where every color uh, of Yarmulke can be can be comfortable. It involves compromise, and it involves doing things that I wouldn't want to do. It involves not doing things I would want to do. It does, that. it means trying to keep a harmonious together, which is vital, but allowing for people from different backgrounds to still dive in together and learn together and respect each other. It's not easy because as the Orthodox community has grown in ways that neither you or I ever imagined possible back in the 70s, the size of it and the success of it there does seem to be a need to double down on niche identities for further distinguishing one small group from a different small group. Yeah,
0: that, that, I, I would say that is. And a, that's, uh, that's
1: that's human nature.
0: Human nature, yes, but I always believe Torah is an equalizer. Um, again, that's where I'm coming from. And I, yeah, again, I, right I, I, I look. I'm probably like Don Quixote in that way but I always believe that if you're honest in Torah, uh, you know, everything fades away. Everything fades away. Um, but, but again,
1: some, some communities don't permit it. What I mean by that is there are some communities both that are left of center and right of center that, that, that insist on ideological report cards. What do you say about this? What do you believe on that? What, what, what's your opinion this? And if you say this, you're kosher, you say this, you're trey, if you would do this on, uh, uh, you know, on, on this right. calendar day of the year, if you do that, if you accept this, you know, political party, if you do that, there's this need to, yeah, I mean, we all know it. There's this need, you know, that some people have for, uh, you know, for a kind of orthodox, uh, uh, ch- checklist of what's permitted and what's not permitted. And, uh, you know. Well, well,
0: well, I, 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 I put a, see, uh, From my perspective, and I'm an elitist. Uh, and, and listen, I, I try to be popular on the podcast, but ultimately.
1: I've always found you to be a populist.
0: <laughs> well, I'm elitist <laughs> in the sense that I feel that if you know how to learn, I can talk your language and I can be with you. Right. People who aren't into learning in a professional way, but like dabbling and like hearing things, they need the niche. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Because, because the learning confirms to them, because during the rest of the week, they do stuff I can never do. Whether it's in the it's in the legal field, the medical field, uh, whatever it is that they're doing, so on Shabbos or three times a week or two times a week when they come to learn, it needs to, in a way, affirm for them what their idea of themselves is as a Jewish person. I think if you're a professional learner, I'm everything is open, everything is great, and everything can be discussed, and nothing you're not scared of anything. And I, and I think that, and you're correct, if what we offer in the shuls is a way, besides your davening and your chazen and everything else, by the way, I don't know, do you still have a chazen, by the way? Do you still have a paid position as a chazen? No,
1: no, no. He was... Uh... <laughs>
0: no we know no is no, not is finished I, I had
1: a lot of things I could have said which all of which weren't
0: appropriate so I just stopped myself
1: no <laughs> no longer have yeah,
0: okay <laughs> but but as, as that has sort of faded away so okay so we have a shear in ref cook we have a shear in ref Salvechik we have a shear right we're not gonna have a shear in in, in the satmarov okay we're not gonna have a Shear in video right so uh, see this is fine as is you know, see this quote unquote is fine but i uh, I,
1: I gave him a Shear last year explaining in a very very um, I, I i can't say i agreed with it but i but i i, I went to great lengths to justify revillon in other words i explained where he came from and i explained you know the, the authenticity of his of, of his sources and, and 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 the roots of his outlook i i have no problem doing that but and i think the people walked away less angry at somber and i'm the furthest thing in the world from that but i think but it, listen, the problem in the earth. One of the problems the problem. One of the problems we have is that is is this denial. In other words, this is what's called das Torah. Words that never left the Jew's lips before the twentieth century. There's no such thing as das Torah. I mean, but that's another issue. But who, who say that you know this is the way to do it, and 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 don't just argue with your the opinion. They say it doesn't even exist. In other words, that it has no roots, no intent. The fact is. Most of the ideological debates that we have today aren't new. The 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 protagonists in these ideological debates each can claim antecedents in previous centuries, and yet parts of the Orthodox community behave as if those antecedents never existed. Whether it relates to understanding modern political Zionism, whether it understands our approach to secular. Uh, education, uh, whether it relates to how we engage, uh, issues of gay risk, all of these issues, which now certain segments of the Orthodox community act as if there is only one approach and there has always been only one approach aren't telling the truth. They aren't telling the truth.
0: I, I, again, I, you, you're preaching to the choir and I, I agree with you. And I think it does. I think we need to trust our, our, our we need to trust people more.
1: And again, I, 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 I don't reject. The most—I I hate to use words like this—but the most right-wing definition of all of these issues, all of them have their own roots. I disagree. You could disagree with them, but I know they're authentic. In other words, they have their roots and, and they have antecedents in texts and in personalities of the last several hundred years. The problem, though, is that they do not even agree that another opinion exists. I got, I got within, it the Torah community. Yeah,
0: I got it. I, I, I think there's also, and again, we talk about our youth. And I know, of course, uh, people about your father, uh, Zohan Rav Rocha, had a wonderful relationship with Rav Moshe Feinstein and many of the mm-hmm. most famous Chuvis that Rav Moshe wrote uh, were to Rav Baruch Haran. And um, part of it is the vacuum at the top. You know, when, when we understood that there was, when we were of course, orthodoxy was smaller, but there was the pesach, and this is Rav Moshe's Psaac. And Rav Psak or whatever the pasach of the Gedolim were, was 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 followed, despite the fact that there might it might have ruffled some feathers. I don't. We don't have that, unfortunately. No, listen, so, it's, Rav
1: Mishra, I, I mean, you know, I was just rereading the hadama that Rav Mishra wrote in the first volume of the. Gris-Mishra. That's right,
0: right. Which is sort of funny because everybody no everybody ignores it because everybody uses his his the pasch and everything. But go right.
1: ahead, yeah. The is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, the anivis, yeah. the humility is it's it's, um, it's an, um, remarkable Hagdama. right? Anyway. And, uh, but I don't know anybody who had, and I'm going to use a very English word, who had the clout that he had. When he was alive, no one could say no to him. Yeah, but, but I think all I,
0: know. But part of it was also, was, it, was, it, it was during the period specifically when we were growing up. Right. Because in the fifties, you still had Rev Aaron, you had right, Egan, right. that's true. Rav Moshe's hegemony, whatever you want to call it, uh, really developed because there was, you know, again, you had the Chabadsker, you had the Lubavitcher, right. you had the Satmarov, but in terms of the the basic and this is going to give direction, whether it's call of Yisrael, Call of
1: Stam... No, but the point, no, but it was more that if he called... Listen, I, I know of stories, you all know of stories, we can't tell the stories, but where Rosh Hashivas were doing things that needed to be correct. All Ramayashi needed was a 90-second phone call. Nobody argued with much That's what I mean by cloud. In other words, they, and today, there's no yeshiva in the world. Forget community. Forget country. There's no yeshiva in the world where the Rashiva has that kind of clout with his own Talmud, let alone outside his yeshiva walls, right? I mean, the the one thing that everyone seems to have assimilated into is radical personal autonomy. And then the most religious Jew now exercises the radical person radical personal autonomy of a kid in Berkeley. I mean, it, right. people so don't I,
0: listen anymore. But part of it, I think, is what I'm holding up right here and what we're talking on. Part mm-hmm. of what allows that autonomy to happen is that where when we were growing up, go ask the rub, go ask for find. For example, when we were kids in high school and when you had a, a, the deepest, most interesting question, go ask him, go ask Refinement. Today, go to Google, right? Go to Google, you'll find it. And I think that really is exhibited in, in, in your membership as well. Yeah, they like Rabbi Pupko. They like to the share him. But you know what? They do, and even before COVID, they could get their answers online, their answers from 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 a plethora of sources. Which- I'll, I'll tell
1: you something. I, it's, a, it's very funny. I had a, somebody call me, a woman call me in last week about something at Kasha. I don't remember what it was anymore. And, and I, I said, it was about a product. It was, it was a data issue, not a, a lucky issue. You know, like, what is this? And I, I got off the phone. I said, oh, I'll tell you about it. I, I didn't know it's uh, about a product with a, with a struggle with something i'll go why don't you just google it I mean, That's what <laughs> I was, you know which is what i did yes <laughs> you know, right. it was about you know we, we, you know what what a product where a product you know the rubber monster was a certain product and um and, and you're right i mean uh, there's no question the uh, uh the the, the, the uh, smartphone has
0: democratized access to that information it, 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 totally. To the point that, again, it's you know, <clears throat> you know, you know I, I heard you know, who's, you know, Michael Broy talk about the fact that the um, that the rabbi has to, you know, again, he has to show himself; that he's the smartest guy in the room. You know that he knows more than everybody, and that and, that, and that's a tough thing to do today. Um, and uh, it isn't so much about charisma and about direction. Um, it, it is very, very difficult, I think. And 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 I and and I, I, I applaud you know all your efforts over there. Um, in terms I mean, of listen, that, I
1: think the greatest shift, I mean, since we're kids, I mean, uh, and I think this is the, uh, is, the uh, is, is how everyone seems to have lost their sense of humor is also a big part of it. In other words, religiosity is now uh, understood to be the, uh, to involve sobriety and solemnity. When we were kids, being from meant you were happy. And you had a sharp sense of humor and insights. Today, People think a joke somehow is was is, is, is a lack of piety.
0: But 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 that's really our culture today. Nothing. Remember, nothing. Right. You know, one of the things I, I do with my, you know, me and my wife have very varied interests, and you know, uh, we both know about living with people who have varied interests, and yet getting along together. And one of the things that allows that to work is finding some stupid thing that you could do together. That's right. So we watch old programs, watch old Carol Burnett episodes, and old Johnny Carson episodes, old To Tell the Truth episodes, and What's My Line, and. And when I go, when I'm transported back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, I see what was considered, you know, very what was considered benign, benign behavior today. I say, wow, you can never comment on the way a person looks. You I can mean, never could, say that-
1: could Seinfeld have done his his episodes about immigration to put it put in, the, you know, in, in a polite way, or his episodes on a stupid Nazi? Could he have yes. done that today? No. Seinfeld couldn't function
0: and And and, and for someone to come on to uh, uh, a program, for Carol Burnett, who did her opening with all the people, and say, oh, you're such a pretty girl. You're so pretty. I bet you're going to grow up to be... What? How could you say that to someone? Yes, How no. could you tell, what's Carol saying that she's... Pretty- and, and
1: also the idea that you can judge people then by the standards of today. I mean, the whole thing. Anyway. So
0: what I'm trying Fair to say time. is, I'm try, but, but we are ultra-sensitive. Humor has has definitely gone. I'll tell you, my son said to me the other day, he was, he was talking about the interesting phonetic relationship. My son Chaim, who you might remember, who's uh, one of the ages of one of your kids, yeah, yeah. He said to me, You know, he was talking about a a funny Yiddish word. Uh, because it was cold in the sukkah. Right, right. He, says he didn't bring his gotkas. He slept in the sukkah. I learn all day in the sukkah and he sleeps in the sukkah. So together we, 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 you know, we, <laughs> we, we, no, I'm saying, you know, look, I, yeah. I'm so on the Ramah and he, his wife pushes him into the sukkah. So he sleeps in the sukkah and <laughs> I, I get, I wake him up in the morning and say, Hey, I got my svarm. I'm learning. You get out of here and go to work. But anyway, so the point is together. So he said the first, I didn't bring my gotkas. And then he was saying, you know, it's funny that when you say gotkas, you know, sometimes it sounds like the Yiddish word for getchkis which of course means which of course idols, which are my idols i Getchkas, got because Getchkas. so he was saying you know i don't think the world lost anything by the fact that nobody speaks yiddish anymore or that it's it's in uh <laughs> because who needed it it's such a strange thing and uh, yeah we don't need it now from what you're saying i have the answer to my son i believe yiddish whether you spoke it completely or totally created a a lighter spirit and a much more humorous spirit than without getting with, without being vile and vulgar in yiddish in right. general when you uh, there's a there, there was something about the language that lent itself to having a sardonic attitude and, and you even hear it in some of the borscht belt comedians oh for sure you know the borscht belt comedians who, who had that type of rapper, it was like it was like they were speaking english but it was a yiddish mentality and i think with Yiddish, it was, decli- English, but it was Yiddish. It was Yiddish, right? With Yiddish's decline, we no, lost for sure. I mean, a the, lot. Yeah, we lost
1: a lot of humor. I'll tell you something, funny, I was, uh, I was, um I don't know how this came up. I was I'm doing a Russian once, and I was talking about how in Yiddish, when you say to somebody, "How are you?" you say right? right? How are you? How are you? And there's a hundred possible answers to that question, none of which are <laughs> I'm fine, thanks for asking. All of them are things like I've it, my enemy should be this good, <laughs> how should I be? <laughs> you know, and, I mean, you know, I mean, I, it, there's no normal, every exchange in Yiddish is so filled with the poetry and the humor of Jewish life, and you know, it's, it, it's just but and again. You're right, the culture could persist even in the literacy of Yiddish, because there's that, again, the attitude. But, uh, I, so but I'm not, not sure, I, I'm, I'm not and, sure if it's... You, you probably
0: about. know David Katz, the Yiddishist, and Ruth Weiss, um, I think she's out in Canada somewhere, isn't she? Ruth yeah, Weiss. yeah. Right, so I mean, uh, but there's more to you
1: know, it. No, used to be yeah.
0: Yeah, it, there's more to it than that. It's yeah. really, and I think we have lost something, and and that's sort of the. the I hope we can get some of it back, and, and maybe some I mean, of it. I
1: remember Rabbi Huttner's and Rabbi. I mean, Rabbi Huttner was hysterically fun. I mean, fun. Yeah, I mean yeah. Rabbi Huttner's thought was was a personality. Rabbi Ruderman, who was the most quiet of them, was a real personality. And that kind of personality is considered beyond the pale today, where everybody – I mean
0: – You know, it you sort know, of it's, came it's, out it's, a little bit – Rabbi
1: it, Ruderman had been asked...
0: – yeah, Go ahead, Ruby. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I was saying it came out a little bit at the end of Cholkamah. No, I mean – Chochem Avadia's life, uh, L- L- Um, you know, yeah. Chochem Avadia was was upbraided consistently in the Israeli press for all of the unsen- insensitive things that he was saying. And, of course, that was just the way people spoke. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, again, no, nobody bled more yeah. for Kuala Yisrael than Chochem Avadia. But, yeah, when he talked, you know, he talked like a regular Joe in some ways. And I, I, I think there's yeah, yeah. there's been a tremendous intolerance for that. And uh, look, we can even talk about Rav Hershel Schechter, as far as that goes, as well. For some of his miss, and COVID has brought him right. back, as I think, as the great POSIC. But I, we 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 have become so ultra serious and so worried about things that I think we have we, we have we, we've we've emasculated. I remember
1: I was sitting in Rabbi Haimim's year. You mentioned Rabbi Haimim. Rabbi, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I'll tell you a story from Rabbi this year. 1975, I think it must have been. And uh, I'm sitting in a chair and a kid gets up to go to the bathroom. And on his way out, he made the terrible mistake of kissing the mezuzah. <laughs> and, and Rabbi Heineman said, what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't do it. What, what are you, you doing? doing? He says, I'm kissing the mezuzah. Rabbi I said, why are you kissing the mezuzah? He said, what are do you doing? Know? He says, I'm kissing the mezuzah. He says, why are you kissing the mezuzah? He says, because it's a mitzvah. To which Rabbi Heineman responded in a way I'm sure he never
0: has since. So was Bruce Miller. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. couldn't say that today. We <laughs> I
1: were hysterical. I mean.
0: <laughs> that, that was givaldic I think the whole interview might have been worth just to get that thing out there, givaldic Yevaldik. G- um, my, my, our, our mutual, very close friend, Mark Altman. Uh,